Welcome to Challenging Paradigm X. My name is Xerxes Waschengeer, and in my podcast, I interview people who challenge the status quo. This is the second part of a two-part interview with Haushita. Haushita is a very remarkable woman who went to South America to heal her breast cancer. In the last seven years, she spent more than three years with indigenous tribes in South America, learning from their healers. Her aim is to inform people about the path of working with sacred medicines like Cambo, Ayahuasca, Rapé, Vachuma and Bufo in a sustainable way. Furthermore, she will give us an authentic perspective about the indigenous healing path. In this week's episode, we'll talk about life in the jungle, about medicine tourism and the Western approach to indigenous medicines, about an authentic path of working with indigenous medicines, and how Shita will tell us which paradigms she thinks need to be challenged in the world today. In this episode, when we talk about medicine or sacred medicine, we do not refer to Western medicine, but rather indigenous natural substances that are considered by indigenous people as sacred medicines. Furthermore, do not look to this interview for conventional medical advice. So, if you're interested in these topics and entering another dimension, stay tuned. Would you like to elaborate on your experience in the jungle? The first time you went to the jungle, what did happen? What did it change? What was sure. the effect? Yeah, so <clears throat> just living in the thick lowland jungle is an experience in itself because you can really feel the force of our planet and Mother Earth. And just to live in the jungle and to be surrounded by so much life and so much vibration, so so much biodiversity when it comes to plant life and insects and reptiles it was just it was just mind-blowing i was never in an environment like this before and i don't think there's another environment like that on the planet that is so thick and dense with life and just solely to be out of all my previous contexts you know like there was no There was no like uh, civilization chatter, so to say, like no phone ringing, no internet, no distractions, just me in that nature. So to, to have the time to observe that nature was a teaching in itself because finally I understood what photosynthesis meant. I never understood it in school. I was like, I'm in biology. I was like, what is she talking about, my teacher, you know? But later on now in the jungle, what I have experienced, and now I understand it, of course, and understanding what life and death means by observing one thing eats the other thing, and it's about survival. It's about pure survival. And to, to live in the jungle while the thunder is happening and the, the trees around your heart are falling down into the ground and might even hit your heart gives you another perspective of the human being in its context on that planet because we as a species are quite new to the jungle maybe 
20,000 years ago or 25,000 years ago, 30,000 years ago, the human species was introduced to the jungle environment. But the jungle as it is exists for millions and millions and millions of years. So I was, I was connecting to that force of, of everything. And then on the other hand, what happened is I started to drink for the first time uh, sacred ancient uh, medicines and and that and that was uh, that was absolutely changing everything too that realm and that healing i received the understanding to be able to face specific things all that realm in itself was just a very new thing and then of course when i went back to berlin after this it was impossible to continue life as it was, as I had it before, after you have an experience like this. And I was fully immersing myself into the jungle and I, and I was bringing time and it was everything. I was like scared. I had fear. I was happy. I was enchanted. I felt liberated. All kinds of emotions. Because for me, the reason to, to do this journey, the first journey was to heal my illness for the purpose to live long and happy, right? It's, it's a question about life and death here, why I did that. So I was fully going into, into it and it was ripping me apart and putting me together in a new way. And then, of course, everything was new and, and, and then everything changed. What does it actually mean you went to the jungle? You were... I mean, how can we imagine that you were alone and how, I mean, what does it mean? In fact, you arrive in Cusco or wherever, and then you take a tour or you take a guide or you get connected to people who take you there. And then there, what, what did you do? Where did you stay? How, how, how did this, all these practical things in the way, how can we imagine yeah. that? I mean, I guess you didn't just live in the jungle under the tree on your own. You found a spot and no. then, you know. <laughs> I mean, you can try, right? There's a lot of space. But how did it start? Well, I had dreams about this healer. As I said, I was still in Berlin. I was doing some internet research. I found a name on a forum that was discussing visiting healers in the Amazon rainforest from people who have been there before. I resonated with one name. I, I, I don't have any idea. I didn't have any idea about all of this. You know, I didn't even speak Spanish at that time. So zero language skills. He, this healer, he has a website. He has a small place in the jungle, like a, like a healing center, he's calling it, where he welcomes people who want to work with him. Uh, because originally he's from deeper inside the jungle, but he lives with his family in the city of Iquitos, which is a jungle city in Peru. So I used the translator system to contact him in an email. And I think at that time he had someone helping him with this digital stuff uh, because in the jungle there's no internet. So they were sending me an answer. And he, he just said, you're welcome. He, he, to he told me that uh, the day I would arrive at the airport, I need to give him my flight details. There would be a driver picking me up. So I booked my flight. I gave him my details. I arrived in Iquitos airport. And then a driver, who's a friend of mine now, 
he picked me up and he dropped me at a random spot on on the road, kilometer 48 outside of Iquitos, next to a small village. And there was this indigenous boy sitting who was waiting for me that I couldn't speak to because I didn't know the language. And he took my stuff. He helped me carry my things. And he was walking into the jungle from there. So, and that was it. And I had to follow him. And the night before it was raining a lot. I was not prepared for this jungle hike. So I was arriving, you know, with like white sneakers after a 40, 40 hour airplane trip from, from Europe. And we had to wade through the water because the bridge was over flooded. And on my left, like rotten pineapples in the water, one snake I was seeing, I was totally overwhelmed. The hike took like one and a half hours because it was difficult to walk there because of the rain. And I, I couldn't even like follow him that fast as he was walking. And I had to carry my stuff over my head and I nearly slipped walking through the water the water was up to here but there was an old woman coming my way from the other side carrying like rice on her head and she had this wooden stick so she gave me the wooden stick and I could easily walk to the other side and then I turned around but she was gone already and I never understood was she real or was she just a helping spirit so I arrived in that little uh, clearing in the jungle with uh, some huts there there's a temple, there are some huts for people to live and there's a kitchen and there's an access to the river. And so the boy, he dropped my things at one hut and then I think later that day or next day, the the healer arrived. Still, I couldn't talk the language, but somehow we communicated and yeah, that was my house. That was my home for that while. And I started learning the language in that time, of course, because there was no other choice. And we started working together. In general, when I do these trips, one thing leads to another. Now it's a bit more complex what I'm doing with visiting the tribes in Brazil, but I do it mostly alone, all of these journeys. Yeah. Okay. So basically now you visit different tribes. You, how can I imagine? You find out, you hear, you talk to other people who visit the tribes and then you... Yeah. Try to go there. How how can we imagine that? How does this? How so does the this first work? Time that, yeah. So so the first time that I went to Brazil some years ago to visit the tribes, my intention was that I want to work with the tribes and go deeper in the tribal tradition with the medicines. And then how I ended up where I ended up in the first place was a quite interesting meant to be situation again like the one i described with the healer who i was dreaming about in my dream eight months before i even arrived and then everything was falling into place so i put out the intention that i want to visit the tribes in brazil and then one thing again was leading to the other i'm going to spare the story because it's quite a long one again but it was like one thing happened and then the other thing happened things you would never expect and then for brazil it's important to contact the FUNAI, which is a government organization which takes care of the indigenous people's rights and land rights. So if you want to visit a tribe, it's good to meet them first. So they know you're in the area and they can assist you in your journey. So I did this. I contacted the FUNAI and they helped me out a lot. They connected me to one tribe that then I connected to very deeply. 
and they arranged the communication for me. But I had to go get there myself. And, and also then at that time when I went to Brazil, I didn't speak one word Portuguese. So I was starting from scratch again. But staying with that first tribe, the Puyanawa people that are very dear to me, I met other tribe people there and they were inviting me to their villages. So one thing was leading to the other and then I'm arranging my travels alone with, you know, like a boat, uh, buying gasoline and then going there. So this is usually how I'm doing. Okay. And uh, I mean, you know, we refer in the West to the jungle to be the wildest place and that you have to survive. It's uh, you survive or the other survives, survival of the fittest and so on. Is it that? dangerous and especially as a woman i mean how can i imagine this is is i would think it's really dangerous in general the jungle and then also traveling alone as a woman going to different tribes isn't there certain problems aggression rape how would you say is it something that uh, you really have to be dedicated to Or is it fairly easy to do this type of trips? It sounds really a bit, you know, dangerous what you describe or complicated um, at least. I mean, you don't do this stuff if you don't want to do it. <laughs> you you, you got to be committed to, to doing that. So, of course, my story is a bit different because I do it alone all the time. And so maybe... I'm supposed to do that and this is my calling, but I never had problems ever in all these years. Not one problem. I was never robbed. I was never raped. And the thing with the lowland jungle in itself is it's dangerous. There are spiders that are dangerous. That are, uh, there are snakes, uh, there's jaguars. Uh, there's all kinds of things going on in the jungle and you got to be aware when you are in the lowland jungle. I mean, you got to be careful. I was sick with some jungle diseases throughout the years that are no fun, that can kill you, like uh, malaria or chikungunya virus that brought me to the edge as well. The jungle is a living entity and it's about life and death and you are in it. So there is a risk traveling to the lowland jungle and getting sick with something, definitely or getting like bitten or stung or whatever. You need uh, to be careful yeah, as much as you can. This is one thing. The other thing when it comes to, to the context, I because I'm alone, I'm kind of, how can I say, positioning myself in a specific energy. Like I'm oftentimes observing and... I respect the rules of the village that I'm in. I'm, I'm more in the background first when I'm arriving for the first time when I don't know the people, right? It's, a, it's important that, I mean, I'm not showing off with a big fat camera and technology or equipment because it's, it's altering them. You, gotta, you just got to be careful. Like I'm also not like leaving my credit card laying around somewhere. Of course not. I mean, there's some common sense when you travel to these places that you take care of yourself and, and stay safe. What I 
I'm always trying is understand the language and learn the language and speak the language. The language is important, an important bridge that overcomes xenophobia. Because still I'm white and the current situation as it is here in South America with already indigenous people in Brazil being sick with the coronavirus and the old indigenous trauma getting activated by the white people bringing the diseases like it was with measles and smallpox is, is very current. It's there, it's real. And a lot of indigenous people and villages have put themselves in self-quarantine right now. So they locked down their villages. No visitors are allowed. So I don't know how the future around that will develop. So we got to see, but there is a lot of, I heard of a lot of aggression in some jungle cities here in Peru towards white people. So I don't know how my future with traveling to the jungle and the indigenous will change upon this current situation or when will it come back to its normality? I, well, I'm always, I was always careful and I never felt threatened. The only thing that happened is maybe that an indigenous person is interested in you as a love partner or wanting to marry you. This is, this is what I've experienced, which, is, which can happen, right? It's normal. This is the only thing I've ever experienced. But other than that, I never had problems. It is actually for some very modern tribes it's not that big deal if people come visit them it's not a big deal if you have someone who's arranging a trip like this to get there it's actually for the 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 westernized tribes who are used to working with white people it's not a big deal if it's more like a remote thing that you want to do on your own like i usually do you, you gotta you gotta have a specific mindset for that but there's a lot of shamanic healing centers all all over the amazon that are arranging all your trip from airport to hotel to jungle and back you know so people who book like healing retreats in the amazon rainforest usually never have a problem with getting there and getting back because they are taken care of what i hear increasingly is that sh like shamanism medicine work or work with the sacred medicines in south america has become a true business what what's your experience what you can can you see which effects does you said there is tribes that are more modern open to westerners organizing trips everything so how do you see the whole situation with the sacred medicine work in Peru, in Brazil, in other countries? How do you perceive it? And also, what do you experience in the respect of which effect does the influence of medicine work with, I, I, I would call it medicine tourists, um, have on the tribes, on the culture? Yeah, so... That is a very current and interesting topic. There is a lot of, let's say, let's call it medicine tourism going on. No, People coming down to South America to work with the sacred medicines because they want to heal something. And to comfort the Western mind and approach, you can't just like say, yeah, I just come to my place. You got to... You got to meet them in the Western way. So 
there's a it's a lot about money when it comes to medicine work it's a lot of money there that the local people will never see and it's also a lot about creating a comfort for the western visitors so in the jungle you can have fully equipped toilet and shower as you know it from back home in uk no difference so there's a lot happening to create a safe comforting space for the visitors and usually the people who own these places are not even indigenous people they're like people from the western world who are buying a lot of land in the jungle and then they have the investment to build a healing center and then they employ their managers who speak different languages and they have uh, i don't know a lot of local people working for them but the question is do the local people really get the money that they deserve for their work and usually it's not that and do the the local healers who get like hired by those healing centers really get paid the way they should and usually it's not like that yeah so it's it's not uncommon to pay three thousand US dollar now for ten days ayahuasca work in the jungle. Okay. Um, and that's a problem because, for example, here in Peru in the last years there was a lot of ayahuasca har- like ayahuasca harvested, uh, shakuna harvested used for making the medicine. You need quite a lot of the plants itself to make uh, the medicine that you can drink. But who's replanting? Who's regrowing? Yeah, so how sustainable is this all? Is this really sustainable? Because a lot of people, they want to heal and they hear of ayahuasca and they book a retreat online and then they go travel to Iquitos. They get picked up. They have uh, intense 10 days in the jungle. They go back home. But they don't know in the meantime what does happen behind the scenes. Is that really sustainable for the whole, whole, whole process of healing for themselves? if the indigenous and local people get exploited here and if no one is regrowing ayahuasca is is your healing really that more important but usually people don't even think about it and they don't know because it doesn't appear to them and when it comes to to the money well the the money is definitely changing the indigenous cosmology and and view and even their connection to tradition and that is it's not easy for me to accept that. I have been observing it and I'm observing it more and more and I'm questioning my relationships, my collaborations for the future with the, with the tribes too because I don't want to be part of it. Because money makes life easier for them. You know, Back in the days when the first white people visited indigenous uncontacted tribes, they were leaving behind like gifts like a machete or something like this, things they never had. So the, there are some like anthropological docu- do, document reports that you can read and then the, the, the uncontacted tribes uh, found those gifts and they started using these new tools and they left behind the old way that they were doing. So this is how progress comes into a civilization, of course, and this is nothing you can change and nothing you will stop. But there are tribes in brazil that are popular for medicine tourism they are also people of those tribes are traveling worldwide to share ceremonies it's a very common thing now uh, they have 
very high prices for visitors. You easily can pay 1,000 US dollar a week with one of the tribes. And usually it's important to see what do they do with the money. Do they invest it into the village? Do they um, improve the condition of the village or do they invest it into a project? Or do they just buy a new phone in town? Or do they just buy like fast food in the city and come back to the village and and start eating fast food now and stop they stop hunting, you know? Or they buy a flat screen TV in the in the city. They need a generator. They buy a generator. Then they have electricity in the in the village, and they lose their old ways. Are they really connected to the sacred medicine path, or they are now just interested in the money? So there's a lot of layers to to this whole department of question that you just open with that, right? And we have a responsibility here to observe that and evaluate properly. But there is a big shift happening. So the way I understand it is that the people also, the tribes, the medicine men and women, they also lose a certain level of uh, authenticity is that right yeah it's it's it depends on which village or tribe you look at or which specific example but something is shifting towards losing something yeah and you can maybe even say losing authenticity maybe it's just one person in the village but everything affects everything it's a whole environment of living together so everything will affect everybody the way I understand this, the way you live, uh, the way you go forth, you have observed a lot of tribes, you have observed different traditions. What does it mean to do medicine work in an original way, in an authentic way? And what does it mean for the people who do it? It, first of all, is a commitment. It means commitment. And it means commitment to the way. And the way, and the way that I observe and study is the indigenous way. And not all the indigenous way that are still currently active are good examples in my perspective. Because also there's some lack of alignment for indigenous tradition happening right now because the shift of culture and the coming of money is changing so much that the true nature of the tradition is maybe lost. So maybe they're not a good example for me anymore, but there are good examples out there. So personally, I believe it means you need to be aligned with the teachings of that medicine. And you also compromise some things in your life and you pay a price, but this is how I perceive it personally. So in order to share Kambo, I would like to live its teachings. Because if I share this medicine, and what I'm doing is just like creating the space and the medicine is doing its work, but I still have to be in full alignment to be able to do that. Otherwise, I'm not sharing a truth from the heart. Otherwise, I'm creating a space that is not clean and clear and doesn't show the full respect to the medicine. 
So we have to be really aware that this is a, is a big responsibility and we always have to check in to be aligned. And for me personally, it has been a, a lonely path. Maybe because maybe it's a bit the story of my life to to walk my path alone or a challenge in my life. <clears throat> but it has been aligning and flowing like this. Things have been been going that way for me. I was always doing it alone. So to uh, to commit to working with the medicine or sharing the medicine and i'm not living in an indigenous community in the jungle yeah i'm i'm a solo person on my path i'm i'm not with uh, 500 people from my genetic family in a tribe living somewhere this is maybe more the story of my families, but not my own personal story in this lifetime. So I am quite a lot with myself in kind of a dieta or diet, uh, especially this last year outside of the jungle. I have been in a diet with myself a lot. And it means that I have to be careful with my own energy and what I put into my system. If I'm telling someone about dieta and diet with Cambo, I have to live it too. Eh? And at the same time, enjoy life as it comes and find a balance. It's about a sustainable balance here. And it's important that if you say something, if you share a talk, uh, an idea with someone, I have to walk that talk. And of course, we are not perfect. I'm also just a human being. But what I'm doing in that moment I'm doing, I can try and do it impeccable. And not just do it with heart and, and love, but with awareness. And of course, it's a path and it's a progress. And the way I'm working now and sharing information about Cambo or sharing Cambo is different than three years ago. It's different than two years ago, for example. It has shifted. And we have to be aware that we can always learn more. There's always so much more to learn. That's why it's important for me to continue traveling to the tribes and, and connect with more insights and myths and stories and cosmology and views and perception and approaches because it's never ending. It's, it's a vast ocean of knowledge out there. And at the same time, it's important to stay humble. Very, very humble with that because quickly things can come to your mind. If it's like a gratitude from a person that they say you have brought them this healing, which I don't think, you know. Um, it's, it's always important to stay, to stay humble and detached as well. But it is a commitment. And personally, for my own life, it means I, I say yes to a commitment because I want to. And there are things that I'm not missing and lacking. But there are parts of my life that I'm just not living like other people would live them but they have other lives too what i'm doing is maybe quite specific it's not the same energy like 
living in the city and, and doing specific things in the city. It's, it's not that anymore. I'm living a totally different life. So my life is different for the way I'm, I'm living it. Yeah. Are you now talking about your specific life or is it something that applies also to the indigenous people and especially the people who do healing work within the indigenous tribes? Yeah, so it depends on which tradition of indigenous healing are we looking at. But there are very common ways for the healers of their villages to, to learn their ways. And that is mostly in isolation and seclusion for a long time, maybe for 10, 20, 30 years until they receive the permission to, to start working with people. And there is a tribe in Colombia, the Kogi. They have an understanding that they have people in their tribe who are talking to Mother Earth and, and, and they are transmitters for the message of Mother Earth. To be able for them to receive the messages from Mother Earth and give them to their people, they have to be receptive for it and to learn to be receptive for it after they are born i don't know exactly when but they live for a specific amount of years in darkness alone so their senses get sharpened and they get in tune to speak with the spirits so that is a commitment right if you imagine from the western perspective you're gonna you're gonna live in the earth hole for nine or ten years until until you can serve your community. Other healers that I know, they have been receiving plant dietas and they have been living in isolation uh, for 20 years and, and just in the jungle with the plants uh, doing that work. And one healer that I know, before he wants to have sex with his wife, he has to ask permission from the plants. And uh, another healer I know, he is—he has this kind of codex. Whenever he meets the people he works with, he never gives them a hug. He always has a two-meter distance to the people. And I was asking him one time why, and he said it's for reason of energy. Don't take it personal. It's just that, you know, I, I need to be in my own energy and I'm not allowed to come closer to you. Whereas on the opposite side, you have people that call themselves, I am that healer. And they're going to rape women during an ayahuasca ceremony. And these stories, they happened. They, they, you, can, you can just like find uh, information online on these things. People abuse their position. But to be able to maintain uh, the work that you share, you have to maintain a specific way of living. So uh, a price that you pay can be many things in that realm, also for the indigenous people. But you don't see it like, something you lose but it's like something you gain with a specific attitude and behavior and keeping the rules and the framework so you can serve serve the people with what you have learned so it's kind of a progress commitment so, and and yeah so so you can add basically it's for the indigenous people who are sharing the work or who are the, the bridge keepers between the worlds it means a lot of isolation time a lot of fasting 
a lot of time with their objects in the jungle, the plants, the, the, the animals, a lot of time alone. Yeah. So it, it, it means specific things for your experience about life and world, but it's focused on your teaching, on your receiving of those teachings. Okay. So basically what you're saying is this is a very specific path that you decide to go and commit yourself when you become a healer with sacred medicines that that is essential to to the work that a healer does the way i understand it and also yes please yeah the only thing i, I would add is like when you say that you decide for it's oftentimes not that it gets decided for you or it happens. It just happens. It's not a conscious decision that happens for some people. It's the, 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 the you're going to be the next one because your grandfather has been the healer of the tribe or something happens in your life and you get stumbling on that path through something that happened in your life and you're on that path and flow and it was never planned. So it, it has different levels to that. But once you are there, you commit to it, yes. Okay. And there's different levels of commitments, not only by people who go to the, visit the tribes, but also within the tribes now with this whole change of how much the influence, Western influence is on tribes as well, the way I understand it. Exactly, yeah. So you talked about sacred medicine work. And for me, a question really is, uh, we talked a bit about the how it is exploited in a touristic way, to some extent. You talked about that it is scarce. And really, what I experience a lot now in, in the West is that, for example, ayahuasca has become very fashionable even to the extent that I hear about uh, cool Berlin startups doing uh, ayahuasca retreats uh, for their team retreat once a year and things like that. So what's your position on that? How do you differentiate what is sacred medicine work? What is recreational use? And how important also do you find the context of how medicine is taken apart now from the dieta, what we've talked about and in which co context it is taken. Do you think it makes a difference if the medicine is taken in the jungle or if it's taken in the West, maybe even in a city? Does it make a difference at all? Doesn't make any difference. So it's a few questions really, but I think they're all connected. Yeah, definitely. So what I observe and what you also mentioned is the popularity around those sacred medicines so first of all what 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 are sacred medicines let's say for the history of humanity human beings in different traditions and cultures have used what mother earth is giving them to connect with uh, the spirits or other dimensions. Might it be magic mushrooms 
or peyote in Mexico, ayahuasca in South America, so many other possibilities all over the world. So sacred medicine was always used in a context of indigenous tradition for healing or crossing over a, a passage like a rite uh, for initiation, for consulting the, the spirit about something that is happening in the village to find a solution um, to connect with ancestors. So the context of sacred medicines is old and ancient and we have to see it in its context as well. Because nowadays when indigenous people drink ayahuasca regularly, like some tribes once a week, every Saturday, for example, I have experienced they have this, they drink once a week all their life, let's say ayahuasca. So it's implemented in their everyday life and culture to do so. Because they may discuss something that is important for their village or this is the way they reenact a ritual and maintain connection. And it's, it's important to stay strong as a community to do this practice together. And they still chant the old healing songs and they perform the old dances and they have a strong choreography and structure around this. And they share pr prayer words or words of gratitude. So when we talk about sacred medicine, there's this background to it. And when we talk about sacred medicine, there's this new thing going on now that the popular thing that people are into it. Yeah. What I, what I sometimes have the feeling is that people perceive those sacred medicines like I'm going into a supermarket in the Western world, for example, in a city. Yeah. I'm going into the supermarket and I can, can get everything at any time in the year. And all I have to do is take it and put it into my, my basket and like pay for it. And then I have it. And there is a mentality about healing and approaching sacred medicines that is similar to I'm going to the supermarket and I can get everything at any time, whatever I want and need, as long as I pay for it. But that is far away from what I have described just now the indigenous way, the context of using sacred medicines there. Because I understand everybody who wants to consult sacred medicines to tap into, into a healing, to learn more about themselves, to, to heal something specific. We have this option nowadays. And the bridge between the indigenous hopefully still sustainable context. There are uncontacted tribes that we don't know about. They for sure still do it like this. And the bridge to where we are at right now, we need to, to, to share information and education to make that happen. Because if we approach it in the way of the supermarket, I want a quick fix. And as long as I pay my $3,000 after 10 days, I'm going to be enlightened. Because the... The approach oftentimes is the approach of consuming. I consume something, so I will feel better. Yeah, so I'm going to drink ayahuasca and it's going to heal me and I'm going to feel better. But this is not the truth. I would not say that 
when you start drinking ayahuasca and when you drink ayahuasca and you drink it a lot and you drink it for many years that you're going to heal. I think that's not true. What ayahuasca is doing or any other sacred medicine and what the person that is like in between is doing, the person that is the healer who, who is creating that space that you can experience it, they are tools and they are helpers. They support you to, to enter into something where you can perceive uh, and learn something about yourself, where you have a possibility to enter the realm of understanding. Yeah. Because what happens when you work, work with sacred medicine, something opens up, something gets moved. You see something. You usually see it though from the perspective of where you are right now in your perception, in your mind. Yeah. But still, when the ceremony is over, the hardest part is starting because you have to go back home and you got to implement and integrate what you have learned in that ceremony or what you have seen there. Because that's the hardest part. You, ha you have to change and you have to commit to changing your life in the three-dimensional. It's easy. It's easy to drink ayahuasca, to sit in a sacred space of ceremony that gets hold and to experience it. It's a challenge, but it's easier than implementing the teachings in your everyday life. And also oftentimes what happens is that it's hard to work with these medicines. It's, it's not always a clear message you receive from ayahuasca or something like this. What do you do with what you experience? Because oftentimes in the old, old way, If you want a healing for yourself, you would never even drink the medicine. The, the traditional way also was that you were consulting the, the healer of your village with the intention to heal and he would make a ceremony for you, but he would drink the medicine. Only he. And you would sit in that circle or she, yeah? And that that person would, would consult the medicine and work on you, but you would be just sitting there or, or maybe you wouldn't even be sitting there. Maybe you would be just in your hut, in your bed because you wouldn't be able to walk or something. But the traditional way is actually that. But nowadays everybody, we come like running to drink those medicines, but what is the, what is the context behind it? Because it's challenging to, to get it. And it's, it's a quick shift that happens in your whole system. How do you really digest all of that information? This shouldn't be taken lightly to work with the sacred medicines, especially because they are sacred. And I, I know that people, we are like, our nature is that we are curious. We want to try things out, right? And that's okay. But as I see it, if you have a specific intention to work with a specific medicine or even more than one medicine, stay with that intention and remind yourself. Healing takes a long time. It's not going to be done in one day or in one year. You know? The more medicine I'm drinking, the more I understand that the healing happens in different ways and not just when I'm drinking medicine. So you have to be aware that, of course, it's beautiful 
to dwell in those realms of non-dualistic Buddhist peace and love and light. And we all want to be there all the time. That's, that's also our nature. It can become addictive to always be in those enchanted spaces. And we know that a lot of psychoactive molecule, molecules, alkaloids, they help us uh, fight depression. They make us more light, more happy, or more enchanted. And of course, we want more of that. And that's also natural and normal. But we have to really check in the purpose for why am I joining that ceremony or why do I want to do that medicine work? Because usually people start with a very specific thing in their life. And then what I observe is you can really get lost in keep drinking the medicines and you maybe don't even know why. You are just in that flow of medicine community, medicine world. You're always on that energy. You're vibrating high. You like the social aspect of it and it's all fine. But is that the true nature of why we should work with those medicines? Because again, there, there is no endless supply. Someone has to regrow that ayahuasca vine. Someone has to take care of the shakruna. What about all the camel frogs? You know, is it really necessary to smoke a Bufo Alvario's medicine uh, 15, 30 times in a row? Is that necessary? Aren't we exploiting the medicines by not knowing why we are working with them anymore? <clears throat> you can drink ayahuasca for years, but you are still the same person with the same problems. Why is that? Because you have not done your work in this world here, in the 3D. And that is the challenge and that is the painful thing. And this is a tendency that I see and we have to be very aware and careful around this. Because I'm not talking of a theory. I'm sharing something I have been going through myself. That's why I can share it. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so what I always say, there is a difference between drug use and drug abuse. And in between lines now, you have talked about this. Uh, but in, to be very specific, could you point out what your definition or what your ideas are of the difference of the sacred medicine use in a healthy way? and compared to what it would be in a recreational way. I'm sure it's not cannot be a clear-cut definition, but what are your thoughts? How would you differentiate what is the recreational use and, and what it needs and what it takes to be medicine work that is really, where the use of the medicine is not recreational, but really medical? Yeah. Maybe we can even say therapeutic, a therapeutic, therapeutic approach towards a recreational approach. So a general thing that I believe applies to making out the difference here is taking breaks. Taking breaks from working with sacred medicines and using those breaks when you are not always going into the DMT world, you know, but where you are staying in the 3D, 
and tapping into what you have experienced from this perspective and from this dimension. Because traditionally, and if we, if we study a little bit about ancient civilizations, the aim should not be that we always keep drinking ayahuasca until the end of the life or we, we like constantly need to consult the medicines. That shouldn't be the aim. It shouldn't be that you're going to drink ayahuasca for the next 20, 30, 40 years unless you are not living in a, unless you are living in a indigenous context, like in a village where this is the tradition and this is how you maintain your connection to the spirit. Well, this is another story. I'm talking about really the, the, the someone coming from the Western world and looking for healing. I don't believe that these medicines are out there and that Pachamama Mother Earth is giving us these possibilities so that we always now are going to drink it and use them all the time. I don't think so. I believe you have to check in with yourself for why you are doing what you're doing, as I already mentioned. What do I want to work on? What do I want to heal? But taking breaks from these medicines. Because I also had a time in my life when I was so much in that flow that I was using specific medicines super frequently. But on the other hand, also, if you share the medicines, maybe that's another story if you work with it a lot yourself. But I personally believe it's good to take a breaks where like of a year, two, three, one, two, three years and, and really try to implement those uh, teachings no matter how hard it seems and how much easier it would seem now to drink a cup of ayahuasca in a ceremony and, and get more loosened up and relaxed again about something that we couldn't solve. But healing takes time. And, and I was working a lot in my ceremonies uh, in all these seven years now on my relationship with my, my parents, for example, you know like seeing a lot of visions, having a lot of energy work happening around that, uh, purging a lot of those old energies that have not been serving me. But the true practice comes when I meet my parents in real life and I'm spending time with them. And this is where I can put it into practice. And this is where the real test is happening. And I appreciate the possibility that we can do it in the three-dimensional. But if it's just about getting high and, 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 and being always in that space and, and not being able to take the break, being afraid of taking a break from those medicines, because you are not just drinking ayahuasca. You are much more than that. You should still see it in, in its whole sacredness, but as a helping tool with a limited supply on the planet. And we also have to feel into the idea of sharing. Yeah? There is a very sad story going on uh, around the, the Bufo Alvarius toad in the, in the Mexican desert. Yeah. This, this species will go extinct, extinct 
the the medicine is very popular people people use it people overuse it is it really necessary for one person to smoke it 40 times why don't you just use it a couple of times and think of okay now more people can use the medicine i haven't used to tap into the same i have been tapping to in and this is something that is lacking entirely an understanding that not many people have and that's why i was giving the example of consuming we go into the supermarket it's always there and we buy it so this kind of approach this kind of attitude is not an attitude from someone who always lives in the jungle and you know who lives self-sustained from the jungle in, in his or her village but that comes from a western matrix so to say and we have to be really careful here and always checking in with ourselves so you live in a very different type of reality than most people and i would be really interested in which paradigms you believe need to be challenged today in could be now in medicine work uh, but it could be also like in general what your perspective is yeah in my answer i would like to focus on the the linguistic approach to what i would wish for the world or what i believe in is important maybe i can i can share it like this if it's okay for you sure um so i believe that first of all it's about an understanding what is the connection to myself who am i and what am i because it's important to put that focus on ourselves first to be able to understand the rest because we are highly complex and sensitive beings and we carry a lot of memories emotions behavioral patterns traumatic experience all of us in our lives and we are all going through the same experiences in life we have to understand that we are all the same in what we go through if you are heartbroken and i'm heartbroken we're going through the same suffering so we are it's a shared experience actually and if i have a cancer but you have chronic headache it's what we are going through and there's no better or worse it's exactly what we experience and what we wish um, to be liberated from right and body mind and heart we are we are layers of so many things we are so sensitive beings and our body our minds and our heart um gonna show us the way so we gotta tune in and observe the signs because we are all energy and vibration and to be able to to heal first of all we have to understand that i have to respect and i have to love myself there's no other way around it we have the power everybody has the power to 
connect with themselves and to start this healing process. Yeah, we have to connect with the idea of self-empowerment again. It's important that we understand and we tap into this power of, yes, I can create my own reality. And we can take action to create our own reality at every moment in time. Right now and right now and right now, you can create your own reality. And it's important to be grateful for the life that we are having and for all its teachings that are coming because it means that there is a universal flow in everything that is happening, even in the current situation. It's just the perspective, where do we put ourselves into? What do we do with a challenge in life? And to be able to, also to be able to reconnect with ourselves, not just with the practice of being aware of self-respect and self-love and the awareness around of this and the awareness that we are all in this together, it's important that we reconnect to our home. And my home is not this house. It's my temporary housing, but my home is this planet. It's Mother Earth. It's Pachamama. And if we want to connect to our essence, we got to live in companionship with nature. And we got to live in companionship with the elements. And we have the chance to tap into an old knowledge of health and healing and living together by consulting the indigenous uh, wisdom and the indigenous ways. So just to name the, um, the topics that I'm referring to is, for example, farming, hunting, our relationship to food, our relationship to fasting, our relationship to... Um, prayer and chanting and dancing the traditions the rituals the rites what's the source of our being what's the sacred sacredness of of being that's that's very important that we reconnect to to those understandings, because usually the Western way of life is a globalized way of life. And we are so unrooted. But the indigenous way, it happens in, in, a, in a tribal way, in a community way. And we can understand and learn that it's important to respect yourself, each other, your surrounding, your environment, as much as having compassion and supporting each other also by sharing, we can tap into using uh, sacred natural medicines and we can learn more about the spirit in everything by understanding that everything belongs together. But oftentimes in Western life, we are lacking many of those things, a healthy connection to food a healthy connection and aware connection to the land that you're living on. What importance does the, the land you're living on has, what you're surrounded by? What kind of community are you living in? So by connecting to an indigenous way of living, because there's a lot of wisdom in that. 
it's not about perfection, but there's a lot of wisdom that, that has been repeated over thousands and thousands of years in different indigenous contexts. We can connect to an understanding of what is our true nature and what is the important value of living. And it's not just about, I want to heal and I will drink ayahuasca and I have my shaman and they're going to heal me. I think that's wrong. We should not abuse those sacred medicines and we should not give our power to, oh, they're going to heal me. The doctor in the hospital is going to heal me. The shaman is going to heal me. You're the only one who's going to heal yourself and no one else. You can use amazing tools and teachings and understanding to put it into practice. But it's still going to be you who's doing the work. No one will do it for you. Thank you. That was uh, very enlightening. So, yeah, my final question is, I'd like to know what you want your legacy to be. Meaning, basically, that what impact do you want to have had on humanity once you leave this lifetime? It would be great to inspire just one person with more loving connection to themselves and to save some jungle land. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being on my show. And thank you for having me so much. Thank you so much, Damano. I send you all my best wishes to Peru. Thank you so much. Hush, hush. Thank you for staying tuned for this edition of Challenging Paradigm X. If you like this episode with Hoshita, feel free to share it with your community so Hoshita gets her message spread even further. Also, if you are interested to get in touch with her, to get more insight or have any questions, Hoshita is happy to reply to you. You will find her contact in the description. Apart from that, if you like this episode, please hit subscribe, rate it, and if you find some time, write me a review. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact me. And if you like this podcast, you can support it through Patreon. Next week, we're up with the next episode of Challenging Paradigm X. Until then, I wish you a great week and say ciao.